This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Hey, Professor Wardscott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, by golly, inside the Mellon Law Studio, inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, inside God's Country, on a Friday. Uh, well, the first Friday of December, so we're moving towards Christmas. Can you believe it? And we're moving towards the completion of the calendar 2022. There you go. And uh, we have a lot of things to talk about today. I've been asked a number of questions about what do I mean when uh, the city commission can discipline itself. So I'm going to go over that a little bit today with you. We'll have a little class on that. And it's amazing that... Um, the City Commission of Gainesville hasn't had a class on it without me having to give you instructions on it, you, my fans and listeners, and um, all the above. So um, crime prevention protects us, of course, uh, uh, 24-7, 365, and check out the mugshots. And, um, you know, we got a very sad mugshot mug now out there of the, uh, the kid who backed, uh, was a backup quarterback for the Gators. Um, it's... Um, Interesting detail about that, apparently, for me anyway, is that um, the, the uh, lad was under investigation from June. And so I just have a question. And it just occurred to me if GPD was investigating this young man since June, could they? Did they? Would they? Should they? Did they wait until the completion of the football season to lower the boom? I never thought of that, and nobody has, you know, only I would think of that because the media is kind of mundane and average and, uh, you know, plods along. It's very difficult to find enthusiasm, genuine enthusiasm for intellectual curiosity anywhere. Uh, with people I interact with. It's just uh, the way it is. It's a ho-hum society and you go through the motions and you have a job and you get paid on time, hopefully. But there are other larger questions here. And I don't know if that question will ever be answered, but it is so that the season was over before they made the arrest. And as I understand it, the investigation had begun in June. So that really takes up summer practice, does it not, in all the fall football season? I don't know. I got, it's, it's piqued my curiosity enough that I'm going to uh, kind of see where that goes. Probably I'm the only one who will mention it or notice it, but it does suggest, and this has always been a case-by-case uh, case situation, but it goes all back, all the way back to the old myth that the, uh, uh, the athlete gets a special treatment from uh, law and order, and I can testify to you that it does. Um, it's just that so often the law and order guys are fascinated and enraptured by the athlete uh, because they sort of mirror each other and macho this and that. And so they kind of excuse each other or they all kind of know each other and hang out with each other. And, and it's, you know, the speeding tickets kind of overlook for the athlete, um, whereas it isn't. I know many stories about this. Uh, believe me, some about some of our favorite heroes, by the way, who have had the uh, tickets sort of absent, uh, abs- you know, sort of get lost and not uh, when they recognize who it was had been pulled over. So this is a much larger context, of course, but it, it does raise an interesting question. If all this investigation had been going on since June and pretty much everything had been, you know, known for quite a while, why didn't um, this happen in the middle of the season? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have a question. I'm going to ask a couple of sports guys about it, see if they know who do um, nothing but, you know, hang around the locker rooms 24-7 as a job. So 
just bring that up. That's a curious kind of local thing. It's uh, developed and only I have noticed it so far that I know of um, because I kind of know how this stuff frequently works. Um, I'm just have to hear to tell you that. Uh, so it's um, that's the way it is. And uh, it's pretty much you know anybody in law enforcement pretty much knows this, too, that there is a kind of relationship uh, uh, that I've been uh, that, that I've been addressing. Now, uh, the other thing that I've been hearing a lot about are, geez, the city salaries of these people in the city who are so incompetent and so stumble and mumble along. Uh, can they vote themselves more money? Yes, they can. Yeah. 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 Hello. Now, with the county, the formula is based upon uh, a, a, a state. Uh, I think it's in the Constitution that that is based on population. So if you look at the more heavily populated counties in the state of Florida, the salary of the county commissioner will be uh, 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 reached by a formula that is uh, enshrined in all the counties. And uh, therefore, the larger counties, this is the logic, I guess, that the larger counties require more attention. So therefore, the county commissioners get more salary. And so it's always been my understanding until somebody corrects me. And I'm never wrong, as you know, um, that uh, this is a uh, formula and that the county commissioners uh, don't set their own salaries. I think it's about 85 grand a year for a part time job. Wow. What a racket. huh? And they always complain. And Barley used to do this all the time that it's not a part time job. Well, the reason it's not a part time job frequently is because in the case of Barley, he meddled in everything. Uh, he thought he was the chair when he wasn't. He thought he was the county attorney when he wasn't. He thought he was the county manager when he wasn't. He thought he could go directly to the staff when he couldn't, but he did. And so he just made it a full-time gig. He didn't have anything else to do. So he just turned it into a full-time gig and then pronounced that everybody else should turn it into a full-time gig because woe is me, I do, he would always say. So therefore, we need to do something about being underpaid and this, that, one another. And of course, they couldn't address that because they're county commissioners, but the city commission can. And the city commission has, and if they want to double their salary and they're all going to do it in front of you, in spite of the fact that you know that they can't run the city financially, they can't even find the receipts, they can't even find the bills, uh, they don't know where to even start looking, um, they don't know what type of, of uh, dipping into the trough uh, uh, and till that they've got going on. They have no way of knowing. Every once in a while, there's an accidental discovery of somebody who's been running some sort of scam on the city, um, pocketing cheese on the side. It's, it's um, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's just the way it goes. And, and um, you know, you, you can't um, call it anything else. I mean, it's, uh, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange. So that's, that's, the, that's, the way, that's the way it works. And that's the city. And most the cities are that way. Uh, the cities vote their own salaries. That's in the charter, but uh, um, the, the counties are subdivisions of the state. So and that, as I understand the way that's set up. So, yeah, answer to that question you've been asking me is can the cities vote their own salaries? Yes, they can. The other thing that's happened that uh, is of interest locally is that uh, the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity has sued the city uh, and challenging this single, they have a single family lawsuit. They've sued the city over this exclusionary thing where they're going to cram anything they want to cram uh, that makes money and a, uh, AKA increases opportunity for housing in the single family resident neighborhoods. In other words, they're destroying the definition of neighborhood based upon single family ownership. Now, the single family ownership neighborhood has been destroyed enough by student rentals inside the single family residence. That has done a lot of damage to single family resident neighborhoods is uh, um, the people will intelligently so get their mortgage paid off, but they won't sell the place they lived in since like 1960 in the city and they'll go to a bigger house and this and that one and other, but they'll keep the house that's paid off. In fact, they'll borrow against it on the new house. And then they'll rent the house they moved out of. And this has always been a way for people to supplement and quite wisely so 
their otherwise limited salary and some job they have. I know people have 10, 15, 20 houses they've accumulated over years. They do a lot of the sweat equity uh, and there's thing, those have value. But the concern is once you cram a quadruplex into one of these things, it's not going to be a single family. Somebody is not going to live and own of that home. Uh, it's going to be a completely, it's going to quadruple the single fan, the, the uh, renter. So it's going to, before you had the renter, and they, this is what's so odd about the city of Gainesville. Uh, you can't have more than three unrelated inside the city of Gainesville, okay, in a single family neighborhood. Do you, do you understand that? I mean, you can't have more than three unrelated, but you can now put a quadruplex. And in a quadruplex, you could have three unrelated in each four, in each unit times four, so you could have 12. Do you, do you, get, do you get the picture here? Do you, do you get the picture? Now, I can figure this stuff out on the fly. Uh, it, it doesn't take two seconds for somebody like me to figure this out. But the city commission can't figure this out. They can't figure, figure it out that they're quadrupling more. I mean, they're violating their own logic. Their own logic was they didn't destroy, want to destroy the single family neighborhoods by allowing uh, the single family residences to be crammed with like six kids. Of course, they do it behind everybody's back, but. But, you know, if you have six kids in there, so they pass a law, uh, you know, you can't have more than three unrelated. Well, and, and, and correct me if that law has changed. That's the laws I understand. So now you put in four, you have three unrelated in each unit, I guess, wouldn't you be able to? And then times four, so you have 12 now in the same piece of territory, in the same terra firma. I mean, it's just goofy. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, do that not know what they're doing? Have they not done their math? Um, I don't know what the answer is to that. It, it, it doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to me. I'm kind of looking for my own show here so I can see who's chatting. I always have a little problem with this because for some reason um, I'm not getting uh, the notifications in a timely manner. But let me see if I can hook into my own show. Um, let's see here. No, I get to see. I got to take, take time out to fiddle with this if you don't mind um, and see what I get here. I guess I'm not getting it. I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. Hang on one minute. I, I hate to do this to you. I'm going to try one more thing um, and see if I can get it. Now I can't pick it up without being distracted, so I'm sorry. I can't see what's in the chat line right now because uh, I, I do not know how to see, see the show with one of the computers. Other than I can see myself on this computer, but I can't see the chat line. Maybe I'll try to fix that at break. We got the phone line open. Uh, you can... Uh, Take a look at the phone line. The phone line is 352-707-9101. Of course, I don't know if you call. Production knows most of the time, I think, if you call. And um, then they'll patch you in. It'll let me know you're there. But I'm going to give up on trying to find this show, I think. i got time to look for it. So if you're chatting, um, uh, I'm sorry I don't see it right now. So um, the other thing I want to talk about with you is um, – we talked about city salaries. We talked about uh, the, the curious timing of the uh, arrest of the quarterback. We've also talked about uh, um, the single family logic that doesn't seem to have any logic to it. And so what I'd like to also call your attention to, I'm looking at my notes here, is um, we now have a uh, deposition that's been taken of T.J. Pichet and um, – uh, um, the uh, supervisor elections, Kim Barton, has there have been depots taken of those two individuals because one of the uh, violators of the uh, voter B who voted from the jail by the name of uh, Leroy Ross wants a trial. So we know that T.J. Pichet took the fifth when FDLE first knocked on his door. We also know that T.J. Pichet has a pretty darn good lawyer he has the same lawyer, as I understand it, uh, that Drotos had, and that's Kos, uh, Koslowski, um, who is pretty sharp. And uh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the depot because it's an ongoing criminal investigation. So you can't see the depositions. But um, there, have, there have been depositions taken of Barton and, which is interesting, because uh, this is what we thought might happen, is one of these guys might actually liar up, get his own liar, and then protest the 
uh, arrest and uh, try to hold uh, a Barton and T.J. Pichet responsible for entrapment, if you will, not begu beguiling them and not letting them know really what the real deal was. And he wants to bring it out before a jury. That's pretty darn interesting. And from the point of view of the public, uh, we hope it does. We, we want it to because it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, what the public ought to have. So uh, finally got uh, finally got a picture here. Um, now I got uh, yeah, Michael Lewis, you can't see it. So let's talk about him. And uh, Jody Davis knows that I don't like dead airtime. Thank you, Jody. I hope I didn't make any dead airtime. I now see the show here. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Man. I love the jokes. You guys are great. Um, so let me just run back over here, get my collect, collect my thoughts for it before I go into the next thing I'm going to do with you, my students, is uh, T.J. Pichet and Kim Barton have uh, depositions have been taken. It's an ongoing case. It's a criminal case. Case is closed. We can't see the depositions. Uh, Leroy Ross wants a trial. It's a black gentleman. Uh, he has uh, uh, T.J. Pichet has Kozlowski, Kozlowski as his attorney, same attorney happens to be. And Kozlowski is also the attorney for uh, the quarterback. And the curious thing about Kozlowski is he didn't want to be seen. Uh, I saw this on Channel 20, he didn't want to be seen. And yet Channel 20 posted a video of the actual arraignment from the courtroom. And you could see clear, very clearly who, who uh, the attorney was. So I, I don't quite get that. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, you know, we're in the world of liarism. And, and there's all sorts of uh, maneuvers that go on. And attempts to, uh, of course, you hire a lawyer to spring you. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, just to bring you up to date on that, yes, salaries can be voted in by the people who pay themselves. And um, yes, there is a single family lawsuit filed by the Department of Economic Opportunity. I th uh, Florida Department of Economic Opportunity, I think there's also a private group is filed. And they're waiting really to get the new commission in uh, before they take up this lawsuit, which I think is probably wise. You know, you inherit the sins of your forefathers. So the new commission is going to inherit the sins of the previous commission, if you will. The analogy here is that making this foolish, stupid rule that contradicts itself. I just pointed out the contradiction. If I can point out the contradiction off the top of my head, I don't know why everybody, somebody else can. I mean, why, is it, why do I have to do this? Um, you know, it, it, is, it just doesn't make any sense. But there it is. I mean, you can do the math yourself and you see it doesn't make any sense. So the other thing I've been asked about, I'm going to go into a little bit with you here, is um, how, do, how do Robert's Rules of Order work? Because I mentioned the other day when we had a caller call in uh, that uh, um, the rules exist already. They don't. This is another dumb thing the City Commission of Gainesville is doing. They're making up rules to, for civility. They already have rules for civility and the rules they're supposed to be following which I'll assure you, none of them knows, okay? They've never looked at, I mean, here's Robert's Rules of Order. Do you see it? You see it? Robert's Rules of Order, okay? I'm holding it up. I, I think you can see it. It's real simple, okay? So, uh, and that's chapter 15, uh, uh, it says that every organization has the right to enforce its rules and expect ethical and honorable conduct from its members. Um, that's the premise on which these rules are based. The rules are to keep order, and it's very simple. Rules are what make order. Without rules, you have chaos, and that's why when somebody decides to run the red light or ignore the rule or say that you know it's in the Constitution when it isn't, uh, and, and you know it is all about creating chaos. And some people benefit from chaos because in chaos you can get away. You know that's one of the strategies. Uh, in an orderly moment, it's more difficult to get away because everybody knows where to look. But if you have a chaotic situation, you can hide. So uh, uh, discipline is very important. And discipline doesn't mean restraint, by the way. Discipline means uh, governing yourself according to the rules. Uh, a disciplined tennis player has a very, very uh, precise type of stroke that is practiced and practiced and practiced. That is done to create the highest level of efficiency and, and, and desired outcome. And so that's discipline. It's not restraint. It is studying the kinetics of what you're doing so that you get the maximum benefit out of your energy. That's the whole print. You know, isn't that brilliant what I just said? I said that off the top of my head. I just said it at 
uh, more than dead airspeed off the top of my head. Okay, so, so every organization has discipline problems from time to time. And this section is entitled The Unruly Member. All right. Uh, and it, 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 so Robert's rules has anticipated this. It says in, in meetings where controversial issues are debated, some members may get so excited that they talk out of turn and continuing to seek the floor, da-da-da-da-da. Here we're talking about a uh, commissioner just being rude. Commissioner Psycho is, is just rude and crude and probably came into the world that way, but doesn't leave it at the door when she climbs up on the dais, she brings it with her. Some kind of street behavior to the dais. So when somebody acts like that, you've got rules to make sure that they don't interrupt the orderly pre- uh, uh, business of the of the uh, of the meeting. Now, here's the way it works: um, the chair cannot impose a penalty for misbehavior. Only the assembly can do so. So only the uh, the, the commission itself. So a member can rise and make a motion proposing a penalty or the chair can ask what penalty should be imposed on the member. And here are possible motions that can be made. A motion that the member must apologize. A motion that the member must leave the hall during the remainder of the meeting. A motion to censor the member. A motion to suspend the member's rights for a designated period of time. A motion to expel the member from the organization. Now, that's what I was telling the caller the other day. The governor is not going to get involved in this. It's the assembly itself. So if the assembly wants the member to leave the hall while they discuss the penalty, Someone must present this option in the form of a motion, which takes a majority to adopt. It does not take a supermajority. It does not take a unanimous. All it takes is a majority. And the member cannot vote on the motion. So if the member denies the charge, the secretary can read it back what he or she has said or done. So. Any, you know, this is this is the way you maintain the order. So um, you do this to reprimand the member with the hopes of, of of reforming that member's behavior. So you yourself have to, as a body, bring this member under control. The motion is amendable. It's debatable. It only requires a majority vote, and it can't be reconsidered. So at the lowest warning, the member is put on notice that if he or she repeats the offense, he or she can be suspended or removed from membership of office. Um, This is um, all available in Robert's Rules of Order. So after discussion, the chair takes a vote. Um, and if the member assembly votes to censure the member, the chair states, the motion is carried. You've been censored by the assembly. And a censor indicates the assembly's displeasure of your conduct at meetings. The censor is a warning. If you don't act according to the rules, you can be suspended or expelled from membership. So there are escalations of this warning. If the member doesn't change the behavior, it can become more serious. It can work its way all the way up to a trial held in an executive session. That's how serious it can get. So it's presented by the assembly itself. It's very clear in Robert's Rules of Order in Chapter 15 on Discipline. that these steps can be taken. You hope you don't have to take them. But a firm chair or any member 
can make the motion and ask the chair to get a second and discuss it and then call for a vote. So, and it can continue. I mean, there can be investigations into all sorts of things about the member. But on the surface with Commissioner Psycho, it appears that one reasonable place to start with her is to do, do exactly that. Censor her in front of her and let her peers in a formal, disciplined discussion, not a shouting match, not an insult of each other, bring the irritating behavior to the floor and make a decision about it. And then if that does not work, take it to another level. Ultimately, you can have that member removed from the dais. Now, in this case, it looks as if Commissioner Psycho has removed herself with a leave of absence. Which kind of takes the pressure off the commission. Because if she had not, the commission, it seems to me, would have had to wise up and realize we've got to do something about this. Because it's very doubtful that people like her, psycho, can't control themselves. As I say, they came into the world that way. They, yes, Jim Murphy, she's still being paid. She's, she, she came into the world that way. So the whole idea about public behavior is that you bring some discipline to it. Just because you're rude to your husband or rude to your kids or your parents were rude to you or you're rude to your parents, that's your, you can do that. But you can't do it as a public official. If the body that you're having issues with knows the rules and every organization is governed by rules. Generally, it's Robert's rules of order, although there are other rules of order. But it's, it's not a secret. And these people should be schooled in the rules when they become commissioners. I don't know if they are. If I had uh, Ed Braddy here, I could I could find out, of course. I don't know if they are. But they can be, they, they should be taught before they, when they're sworn in. That, you know, you got to know the rules. Now, you know, I was a chair umpire for University of Florida NCAA tennis. The only thing that allowed me to control those young men and young women who are highly competitive, highly full of energy, subject to fly off the handle, is as my knowledge of the rules is better than theirs, and I apply that very quickly and fairly and decisively. I learned very early if those players ever saw me be indecisive about the application of the rules, then that it was all over. They then never, ever had any confidence in my application of any rule. So I never let them do that. I never had dead air, as one of my fans here is saying about talk show. I never had dead air indecisiveness between me and the players. They knew, but I'd code them in a second. And if they argued with me, I'd up the code. Because I was there to enforce the rules so that they could have a good match, a good, fair match. It's no different in city commission meetings. So that's Robert's Rules of Order. We'll take a break here on the Ward Scott Files, and we'll be back in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on 
on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Right, welcome back to Ward's God Files. Going to do Ward's weather here. Compliments of Lewis Oil. Um, Wendell Lewis and Lewis Oil. In business since the early 60s. And uh, I got a little story here I may get into today about the folly and this hoax about these electric cars. Uh, I may get into that in just a moment. It's 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 a complete mess. I mean, people, we talked about the, the sum with Phil Kirpin. It's, it's, uh, it's a giant fiasco waiting to happen. Meanwhile, it's 50 degrees here where we are in the piney woods of north central Florida in God's country. And it's... Um, Really going to be a pleasant day. I said that the other day. I'm kind of a little bit shy to say that because then that front came in, but I don't see a front coming in today. It's going to stay in the high 70s around here today, so it's been a wonderful day. Elsewhere in the nation, though, I keep wishing I were able to get to the mountains again because, boy, they are having some storms come through from the Pacific Northwest coming all the way across the Rockies and bringing delightful tons of snow. Uh, the the uh, lifts are open and but then that comes across the Midwest and brings a lot of violent weather. Once those storms hit the Midwest, they bring rain and they bring tornadoes. And there's been a deadly tornado outbreak, as you know, across the south in uh, the areas of Mississippi, Alabama. And uh, this has been just the way the weather's working as we move into a shift of the climate. Um, but there's been a pair of storms that have come across heavy snow in California and coming across. So. Um, these sto- storms will, of course, bring cold and snow to that area, and then they'll bring cold and rain uh, to the Midwest. And, um, you know, the, the idea about when these temperatures of the air change, we've ducked it here, fortunately. We got a little bit of the front that came through the other day, and it was pretty windy for a while. But other than that, why uh, we got by okay. Uh, we kind of deserve that, and we've been clobbered by these hurricanes, so I guess that's one way to look at it. Um, I want to thank, uh, of course, all of our sponsors, uh, uh, StyleCut's the official, I mean, I, I think barbershop's okay, StyleCut's got a barber pole very proudly, stop in and say, David, and uh, Casey, say hello to them, tell them that you um, heard about us on board, heard about them on Ward Scott Files, um, always take your clothes and you own the spot cleaners, they're great people, and, um, you know, of course, you know, Jeffrey Melvin supports us, and uh, you know that in our, our construction and, and I'm going to leave somebody out here. I'm not, uh, I apologize. I apologize. But, um, you know, this is, um, 
It's tough to get advertisers for a talk show. It's very, very easy. If I were just a jock show and I, I were just talking about sports, you'd have to beat the people away. They want to sign up and be part of it. Um, shoot GTR is a great sponsor. Well, when you're a talk show guy um, and you're taking on the controversial issues and you've got your head out of the foxhole, so to speak, um, most people want to hide behind you and not be associated with you. Oh, they, they will listen to you, but they, oh, I don't want anybody to know. That yeah, kind of jazz. That's okay. That's the way it goes. I mean, you know, somebody's got to do it. So uh, right now, I don't know if there's anybody in this community, I don't think, has, who has noticed or even raised the question. Uh, somebody's saying a link doesn't work. I don't know what Jackie's talking about. Um, somebody's, um, uh, ra I think I'm the only one to raise the question about the timing of the arrest of the quarterback which uh, may or may not be on purpose. I don't know. It is an interesting question, though. Uh, I don't know what link Jackie is talking about. Let's see. Um, uh, anyway, period. That, that doesn't need to be a, a, a relative to us. So um, uh, there's some things I've been looking into because of the canine discussion we had. And, you know, that was a very a thorough discussion I had with Whitney Burnett, who for many, many years was not only the canine trainer for ASO, but also the bomb squad trainer. Um, and also knew, of course, uh, all the connections with uh, a GPD and their dogs and uh, thoroughly knew the subject. So I wanted you to hear um, the, the, the discussion in a kind of, a, uh, a, you know, an objective clinical way. Um, some other things that um, we need to talk about, since there's a lot of the race card being played uh, right now, it always is. It's convenient, easy card to put in the deck. Um, I want looking for a little more statistics about um, what really is going on in gun deaths and things of that nature. How, what is the, what, what, you know, where's the danger lie? Uh, so the rate of gun deaths, this is Dominique Mossenberger, who has uh, assembled these statistics. Um, so it, you know, the gun, and they reach a 28 year high in 2021, um, and increases in homicides of black men and suicides among white men. So this is the way it breaks down. The, um, since 1990, rates of gun-related homicide have been highest among black men, age 20 to 24. I don't think that comes as any surprise if we take a look at what's going on in Chicago or if we take a look at what's going on here in Gainesville and Washington County. You know darn good and well that this is gang-related and that nobody seems to be able to get a grip on it. And it is black on black men, age 20 to 25, perhaps even younger. Uh, but according to this, um, there are 142 fatalities per 100,000 people in that group since 2021. And that's a 74% increase since 2014. Now, so the violence uh, uh, between among black men, black on black, age 20 to 24, and it's probably lower than that, even this study doesn't show it, um, has increased all, almost 75%. In, ten, in, in fewer than 10 years. So there are all sorts of conjectures about what that's about. Um, one of the ones is, but almost none of them ever gets publicly discussed. Breakdown of the family, absence of the father, uh, disregard for education because it's a white man's education, um, the, the, the inflation rate uh, makes it difficult. Uh, they don't want to hold a job, so they go to uh, selling drugs, and then that becomes a violent activity, and they have, have territorial wars. There's a lot of exp explanations. Curiously, the, the majority of gun violence with white men is self-imposed suicide, which is interesting. Uh, so gun fatalities from, of suicide were highest among white men uh, at, at aged 80 to 84. Well, you know, it's the end of the trail, and they ain't going to get no better. And so it's interesting that guys don't want to lie around, I'm sure, in some home languishing, waiting for, you know, the end, and they don't, they can't get out of bed. So that's not too surprising to me that there's a high homicide rate, well, suicide rate in age 80, 84. Um, that's 47% of, of, of fatalities per 100,000. That's a 41 increase since 2007. I don't have any idea what that might be due from, but uh, firearm deaths among women have increased more than 70% since 2010. And we know that there are more and more women who are carrying weapons now. 
and they get the concealed weapon permits. All you have to do is ask your DTR, and they have classes. Any of the places have classes for women, teach women how to use these weapons. And buddy, I'm telling you, you better be careful about messing with women because most, a lot of them are packing. So uh, that has also shifted quite a bit. So uh, now you have many, many more women, uh, uh, you know, taking taking protection into their own hands. Um, so, so for certain populations, there are higher risks of suicide. There are higher risks of black and black homicide. We take a look at Chicago, which seems to be the poster child for this place. Uh, but uh, uh, the the overall uh, firearm fatality doesn't have any connection to the restraint of acquiring a weapon. Uh, you know, it doesn't you know putting limits on who can get a gun doesn't have anything to do with who uses the gun and gets the gun and does the damage with the gun. So that's, that's, that's one thing that, that I, I, I'm looking for. Uh, and of course, if you're the cops and you're chasing a guy and you know already that there are profiles that you've got to, you know, everybody says there's no profile. You've got to have profiling. There are patterns of behavior that you predict results from. So here, if you have a, you have a 20 or 24, 20 to 24 year old black male running from the cops, the statistics will show you there's a high probability that there's a gun involved. So as the dog handler said on the show the other day, do you want to send the cop into the dark, into the bushes to get the guy who in all probability has a gun and risk killing the cop or you want to send the dog? Now, the city of San Francisco is talking about sending in robots. And there's a hue and a cry about that. Oh, my golly, the robot doesn't have any discretion. No, it doesn't. But it's not going to get killed either. So they're actually talking about sending robots into situations where uh, somebody is, is uh, in a building or something or shooting it out. Well, you're not going to say. And I know that Marion County has robots. I, I have talked to the sheriff here. All probability we do, too. But, you know, there are robot pieces of equipment that can go in and deal with this, you don't risk either the dog or the person. So what are you going to do? You're going to say in San Francisco, it's a big discussion, big argument, of course, between the woke and the practical about what do you need a robot for? Well, we need a robot before we're not going to send a person there and lose them. And by the way, there are 150 applications for jobs, I understand, for the Elijah County Sheriff's Office of all descriptions. And reason those have come out is because the commission has given the sheriff more money to hire more people. So, you know, People don't want to go into this law enforcement thing, especially when uh, you can't do your job. So it's a, uh, you know, it, it is it is a um, it is it is a, a situation that yours truly decide to take a look at. Now, um, um, the four biggest cities, and this is an article I ran across. It might be helpful to help have in class today. The four, the four, for the first time, the four biggest cities in the country are going to have black mayors. And the myth is that that makes a difference. So uh, the mayor of Los Angeles uh, is uh, going to be led by uh, is a black lady and she's going to be the mayor. And of course, you have uh, Eric Adams, who is, runs New York. And you have, of course, the notorious mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And then in Houston, you have Mayor Sylvester Turner. So uh, the widely held view by the left, so, so saith this analysis, is of that racial and ethnic political clout is essential if you want to advance minority economic development, if you want to increase minority economic advancement. And, the, and, and the, the view is that if you increase minority economic advancement, then the minority male, this male we're talking about 2024, won't have to resort to crime to make a living. You follow the logic here? So let's be, uh, uh, let's investigate that and see if that's true, if there's anything to it. Um, the, the, the actual study shows that black political clout hasn't resulted in black upward mobility. Now, let's just take a look at Gainesville. We had a, we had a black mayor one time here, Mr. Butler, wonderful man, if I think that was his name. Um, wonderful man. And things basically stay the same on in East Gainesville. We had black city commissioners. Uh, repeatedly, things have changed, stayed the same. 
and he's Gainesville, which is basically the area they're always talking about giving an upward mobility to. So it's pretty easy to demonstrate that black political clout hasn't resulted in black upward mobility. That's the study finding that. So, and you can take a look at your local community and confirm or deny or whatever you need to do there. But what's happened is that the black political people have been liberal Democrats. There have, you follow, follow this, it's pretty interesting. They have not been conservative Republicans. The black leaders have always, and this is the study showing the very, no exceptions, have been liberal Democrats. And what have they done? They, just as they've done in Gainesville, they've enacted higher taxes, more government spending, and a larger welfare state. They're no different from their progressive white counterparts. And they have pushed for racial quotas and set aside minority city contractors, and it hasn't helped a bit. What did remain the same is the well-connected black folk did well. The well-connected black folk are not part of this logic. They, they proceed themselves. They get education. I mean, they go right out and I give you any number of examples. Nobody even thinks about it. Nobody even plays a race card. Can you do the job? Can you get the job done? Can you show up every day to work? Can you, you know, are you one of us? I mean, that's the way everybody else does it. Yours truly here. I, I show up every single day to this microphone. I don't have to. I don't have to. It's just built into me. You take the responsibility, you do it. So you show up and you do it. And I don't cut the hour short. I don't take five minutes early or I don't say, oh, I'm tired, quit. I go to I go to the end. Sometimes you go over to the end. So that's just the way it works. It doesn't it has nothing to do with whether you're you know, with the so-called black and white difference. And what has happened, though, in these cities, Coleman Young was in Detroit. What happened? Crime rates exploded. Tax base fled the city. And Detroit's actual population fell about one point from about 1.5 million to less than 1 million. If you go take a look at Detroit, parts of Detroit, it looks like it was bombed. I mean, people just fled. Detroit was once the home of, you know, that was the Motor City. Motown Sound is Motor Sound. Motown Sound with Supremes and Diana Ross. And all that's, that's the Motown Sound. It's the Motor City. But in Mayor Barry's Washington, you remember Mary, Mayor Barry? He was the guy in the sting, did coke. And the coke, by the way, almost killed him because it was more powerful than he was used to. And it was provided by the government in the sting by the beautiful damsel. It was all videoed. We all saw it. And and uh, the government almost unintentionally killed the subject of the investigation by providing a purer form of coke. I don't know if you know this or not. Then Barry, Barry was used to getting it. And so he, he almost he almost uh, kicked the bucket. And so he lost the job, but he got right back into office and everything had stayed the same, bloated city payrolls, high crime and declining population. That was between the late 60s and early 90s. All this was going on. Massive expansions of the welfare state, implementation of racial preferences. Well, it's been shown racial preferences don't do anything uh, except stigmatize those who get the job because of it. I wouldn't want to get a job or get admission because it was a quota I filled. I mean, I don't, I just wouldn't want to do it. Now, some people have done it, like the notorious uh, uh, woman who claimed to be an, a, a Native American and, and then, you know, isn't and gets into Harvard or whatever and plays that game, you know, so it's, it's there. It's obviously there. Um, so uh, what this has resulted in, the study shows, well, you have, a black leadership or white leadership in these cities that's still progressive left and they still increase the welfare state, crime rate goes up, nothing changes. The black political influence does not result in black socioeconomic advancement. And Gainesville is a perfect example. There's been no socioeconomic advancement in the so-called 
minority part of so-called minority part of town, which I think is less and less the minority part of town because there's more people living wherever they want to live. Uh, and so I sort of think that's a myth. Uh, but nothing's going on in these cases, though. It's not going to. It's not going to until the public perception changes of the crime rate and all that, which is not changing. It's, it's getting, for the better, it's getting changing for the worse. So uh, that's an interesting kind of uh, study. What it does make, a, what does make a difference in socioeconomic development and advancement is a development of attitude. Do you have a good attitude about work? Are you enthusiastic? Can we hear it, see it, measure it, come to work with a smile? You're ready to go. I mean, you've already done your jumping jacks. You're, 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 uh, uh, you're ready. You're ready. And, and, and athletics, we all call it fire out on the hut. You're fire out on, ready on, fire out on the hut. Hut, hut. You're ready to go, buddy. We don't have to kick you in the butt to get you to go. And we say, hut, hut. You're gone. So, in fact, you may be gone before we go hut, hut. We'd rather have you jump off sides and sit there when the ball snap. So uh, you got to have skills and behaviors that somebody who hires you would actually want and need and reward. So this is far more important, the study shows, than putting people in a position simply on a formula of a racial or ethnic background. I thought that was interesting. All this works in, in to this notion that you ought to do away with the canines. What are you talking about? Doing away with the canine deal doesn't even begin to address the situation or the problem. Doesn't even get close to addressing it. There's no, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason about it. Now, there's a guy who's in the doghouse. I'm going to kind of complete this, my study. This is my study that I made, and I'm sharing it with you, my students, so you can do with it what you want. You can refute it. Uh, you can, you know, explore it more. It's always the way it works. Uh, this is uh, written by Roland Fryer. Now, Roland Fryer published a large opinion piece uh, a while back in the Wall Street Journal. It said disparity doesn't necessarily imply racism. Now, I, I, let, me, let me tell you who Roland Fry is. Professor, professor Roland Fry, Fryer is a Harvard economics professor, and he's become pretty famous for pushing the limits. Uh, he's pioneered uh, economic methods to enact real social programs. He's worked to put uh, improve uh, public school programs in the inner cities. In other words, he's taken his academic studies and applied them to real world situations. Uh, but you know, quite often when you're controversial and you're out there leading this charge kind of, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're a target. And in 2019, he was suspended uh, due to allegations of sexually harassing five employees at Harvard University. And um, but they didn't let him go. They gave credence to the accusations, which were foggy accusations. So they had to do something. So he was uh, he's uh, uh, suspended. But now he's returned to campus till people love him. He teaches both undergraduate and graduate courses. Uh, he is a. Uh, 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 at age 30, he was the youngest tenured black professor at Harvard. Now, you always got to ask the question, was he targeted because he was so successful? See, this cuts both ways. Was he somehow targeted by him being so successful at such a young age, at such a, 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 a highly... Um, excellent advertised as such institution is Harvard because at 30 he was the youngest tenured 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 black professor at Harvard uh, he graduated in two and a half years on a full scholarship from the University of Texas he originally had an athletic scholarship but he got his doctorate at Penn State and he's been getting awards all over the place for being a great eco eco economist and he has fought against the racial achievement gap and educational inequalities. Now, that's where it becomes interesting to look at his article, because that is what he found. This is what he found. He looked at the Armed Forces Qualification Test. It's called, uh, uh, there's a test that it, uh, tries to measure uh, 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 the effect of a, a racist history 
in, in accomplishments in, uh, in decisions that uh, involve employment. And he, he finds that uh, anti, this is, this is what really is, makes him quote unquote problematic. That anti-black bias played no role in a divergent, a divergent wages, particularly among women. A black woman with the same qualifications as a white woman made slightly more money, and it accounted for at most 29% of the racial difference among men, with 71% traceable to performance on this Air Force uh, qualification test. The Air Force qualification test uh, found that black and white military recruits with similar uh, qualification scores performed similarly on the job and found no racial bias. Well, lo and behold, when Roland Fryer uses this as support for his uh, uh, approach to uh, putting programs into inner city schools and dispels this notion that you operating under some sort of inherited uh, 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 handicap to be only a handicap that you self-impose yourself, that society hasn't imposed on you. You put it on. You put. You know, I'll put a spell on you. You put the spell on yourself. He got hauled in for being problematic. So this is uh, this is something he felt he had to to dispel. He wrote this long column in opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. You can read it. It's entitled Disparity Does Not Imply Racism. And he is uh, reinstated as a professor uh, where he was suspended for a couple of years. Um, and, and of course, they couldn't get rid of him because they, the guy was too good. And But he did give opinions that were swam upstream from the popular narrative that did not uh, quote the popular narrative. Now, there's been many, many facts that ruin the popular narrative. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, the popular narrative is that white supremacist violence is everywhere. And anytime these fellows who are black themselves, like Jason Riley or Roland Fryer, say that's not true, well, guess what? You, you're not speaking the, the narrative. So if you're not speaking the narrative, uh, then you are, you know, kind of look at it askance. And yet at the same time, the, the facts show that if you just practice the same habits that successful people practice, notwithstanding whether they're Asian or Caucasian or uh, any of that, and then, you know, you're valuable. Your value, your real value is your asset as a person. That is the greatest asset you have is what you have as a person. What do you bring to the game as a person? It's certainly true on the field of sports, and it's certainly true in the workplace. What Now, that doesn't mean you'll be compensated necessarily, because there's no rhyme or reason to what people are paid. There are people who are paid exorbitant amounts of money who don't have any asset whatsoever, except that being associated with them, the, 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 the corporation makes more money itself. And um, that that is... Often the reason you make the money is because then the corporation makes the money in return. And so they believe me when we hear these salaries, we pay so-and-so six million a year uh, to be the quarterback of a football team or something like that. The team is making many, many more times than that off of that guy. So that salary is proportionate to what the corporation is going to make off of the employee and the employee is in this case the quarterback uh, this is just you know common sense some of the people who've really taken advantage and abused this and ruined it and sent it back let's go back as the article does I'm looking at the Jussie Smollett's lie that he had been assaulted by a racist let's go back to the lie that a noose supposedly hung over NASCAR racer Bubba Wallace's garage uh, let's go back to the lie that Boys from Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky uh, taunted a Native American in front of the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> Man, that's a mouthful. Um, what we're finding, my friends, and I want to conclude on this, and I'm about out of time. Let's, this is what I found from my studies, and I pass along to you. Americans don't hate each other all that much. 
Don't believe that crap that we hate each other. That's only done for exploitation and personal gain to perpetuate that, that narrative. Don't you believe that for one second? It doesn't work that way. Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.